The, <clears throat> the second reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 15 to 21. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. May God bless his word to us and and help us to understand and and apply it. Thank you, Noel. Uh, There is a full transcript for those of you who would like that out the front, Uh, but do keep your Bibles open to Ephesians 5. We'll work our way through, through this text. But let's pray to our God and ask him for his help. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you you give us your word, that as we read it, as we learn from it, we are hearing from you on how we are to go as your, as your believers and as your disciples. And so teach us the way to go today, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard or have used the common Aussie greeting, how you going, or how you gone, is that how you say it? How you going? But if you go to America, that's not what they say. Do you know what they say there? How are you doing? But then if you go across the Atlantic over to England, what do they say there? How do you do? But these are nice common greetings, aren't they? We hear it all the time, we say it all the time, and they're similar in meaning. It's really a question about how are things for you in your life? Is your life going well? Are things good? Are things bad? What's happening with your life? Now, often I I suspect for many of us, when we are greeted in this way, we don't really do deep soul searching. We don't tend to reflect deeply, how are you doing? Oh, my life is in a mess. My heart is broken. My girlfriend stumped me. My dog's died. We don't really tend to do deep emotional thinking or reflection when we ask these questions. But today, you see, Paul wants us to do that to reflect deeply on our life, to reflect on how things are really going in our life, to do some deep soul searching. But you see, the question that Paul asks us today is not, how are you going? The question Paul asks us this morning is, how are you walking? How are you walking? How are you walking in your life journey? How are you walking in your Christian life journey? You see, in the book of Ephesians, since Ephesians chapter 4, Paul wants the church and he wants Christians in every place and in all times to walk worthy of the calling you have received. And so if you are a disciple, if you are a Christian, then you have received a calling. And so walk worthy of that calling. And so this is what Paul says, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received, early in chapter 4. And what's that calling? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, he says, 
He chose you, God chose you from before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That is God's calling. That is God's cosmic plan. That is God's plan from eternity past to eternity future. That you be holy and blameless. What's your calling? Be holy and blameless. And so walk in a manner worthy of that calling. And so this morning, how are you walking? Well, Paul's answer would be, walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Now, in our Bibles, if you look at your Bibles in the Bibles we use here, the NIV translation, you see the word live instead of the word walk. You see that? Live worthy of the calling you have received. And that's because our translators, they try to simplify the English language for us so that it'll be easier to understand. But the word actually is uh, literally to walk. To walk. And Paul uses this metaphor as a journey of your life. Um, the manner of your life. And Paul develops this metaphor in chapter 4, verse 17. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the fertility of their thoughts. So how are you walking? Not that way. Not as the Gentiles walked. He develops this metaphor in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. As dearly loved children, as loved children, walk in love. How are you walking? Walk in love if you are children of love. In last week, chapter 5, verse 8, as children of the light. Walk as children of the light. And so Paul's question for us this morning is, how are you walking? Walk in love. Walk as children of the light. And so this morning, how are you walking? And so let's look at our passage. Chapter 5, verse 15, it begins, Be careful then how you walk. In our translation, be careful then how you live, but be careful then how you walk. Take care in how you go about life. Pay careful attention in the manner of your life. How are you walking this morning? And so how should Christians walk? Well, firstly, Paul wants Christians everywhere and in every place to walk as the wise. Have a look, verse 15. Be careful then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. You see, if you are a Christian, if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you have confessed and professed Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, what you have come to know is the inside workings of God's cosmic plans. You get that. What you have come to know is the knowledge of how God saves this world, saves this broken and desperate world. He saves this world through the death of his son. And you get to know that. That is wisdom. And you also get to see a little glimpse of the future. You see the future blessing of heaven. And you see the future judgment of hell. And so as Christians, if you are a Christian in your right mind, you cannot go on living as unwise, not knowing those things. But we must also see how profound and wonderful that is. If you are a Christian... I mean, human being, you get insight into the mind and heart of God. You get an insight into God's cosmic purposes. You get an insight into what's really important in this life. And so you can't go on living as an unwise person. And so what's Paul's reasoning? Well, he tells us, verse 16, he says, Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. 
Christians are to make the most of every opportunity. You see, if you look around here, there are brothers and sisters to be loved. They are not to be despised or envied or hated. And if you look at the church around here, the church of Christ is to be built up, not divided, not torn down, not undermined. And if you look at the world around us, there are lost souls to be saved. So many lost souls in in our suburb alone. And so they are not to be ignored or overlooked or disregarded. Paul is telling us, make the most of your opportunity. How will you walk? Make the most of your opportunity. Now, in reading this and reflecting on this, what surprises me is that I find it hard to picture how people in the first century waste time. I mean, just think about what they had to do during their normal living day and and, and what we have to do. The time they had available compared to the time we have available. I mean, for us, we should have so much more time than they did. They can't just flick on a switch and the lights will come on. What did they have to do back then? Light every candle, go around. They can't just turn on the stove or the oven and start start to cook. They have to find firewood and, and burn and get the heat up. They can't just go to the supermarket to buy milk. That's a milk their own goat or cows. They can't just turn on the engine of a car and drive around and get around. They have to walk or ride on a donkey or horse. You see, they had far less time than we do today. But yet you see Paul's command here was to them. Don't waste your time. Make the most of every opportunity, even though they had so little time. And so when you think about that, how much more so for us? We have so much more time today. So many of our things in our life are automated. But yet we can fill up our time with things that are unproductive and wasteful and fruitless. And so Paul's command here is make the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil, that's his reasoning. He's saying don't be sucked in by the lies of today. Don't be sucked in by the lies of this world. Don't be tempted Don't be lured, don't be seduced into being busy for things of this world. Things that will not last, that is the the lies of today. It will turn you away from following Christ, loving Christ with all your heart, soul and mind. And so Paul is saying don't be deceived. And so for students amongst us, best grades does not mean best life. For those of us who work, successful, satisfying career does not mean satisfying life. Fulfilling goals does not mean a fulfilling life. Do you know where that comes from? It comes from Christ. It comes from belonging to Christ, being a follower of Christ. Only in Christ we find the best life, the satisfying life and the fulfilling life. And if you think about this world, and if you think about this life, what are the things that will really last? Have a look around us, this building, the stuff we see here. What are the things that will really last? In a thousand years' time, what do you think we'll see? Do you think we'll see this this beautiful building in heaven? Do you think we'll see the organ, the blue carpet with this nice pattern? What will we see? We've just moved into our home. Will that be in heaven? We've got a Corolla. Will that be in heaven? Probably not. What will be in heaven? None of this stuff. In a thousand years' time, what will we see? 
The only people we'll see, the only things we'll see, are followers of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus, brothers and sisters in Christ. People we bring along. And so Paul's command is simple. Make the most of every opportunity. There are lost souls in this world. There are lost souls. It is dangerous, it is serious what they are facing. Make the most of every opportunity. I mean, yesterday we had this wonderful women's event. We don't run it just to teach cooking, though that is excellent, that is wonderful. We run these women's event to make the most of every opportunity. Anna Harris proclaimed the gospel powerfully. We heard from Penny, or I didn't hear, but the ladies did. Penny shared her testimony. Make the most of every opportunity. Did you make the most of that opportunity to bring friends along, family along to hear of the gospel? Make the most of every opportunity. Now looking around the room here, I'm sure none of us here want to arrive at the end of our life one day where death is creeping at the door. And I know none of us will want to be looking back over our life at that time. None of us will want that, that deep and big sense of regret at the end of life, that we, we should have done things differently. None of us want to end our life with a, a big sense of despair that we should have done more. And so Paul is saying here, how will you walk? Walk as the wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And so how are you walking? How are you walking in your life journey? Well, hopefully as the wise. Now, secondly, in this passage, Paul wants Christians everywhere and in every place to not walk as the fool, but as one who has an understanding of the will of God. Have a look, verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And so what this is saying is, don't live as though God doesn't exist. Only a fool claims God doesn't exist. Don't live as those sins, the hidden sins, the private sins when no one is watching, does not matter, has no consequences. Sin always has consequences. Greed always has consequences. Lust and hatred always has consequences. Gossip has consequences. Sin always has consequences. Don't live as a fool into thinking that they're okay, that sin is okay, even the little one. I mean, what did sin cost our Lord? It cost him his life. Sin is serious. It's never okay. And don't live as though you you think or we think, I'm the master of my soul. I'm the captain of my destiny. We're never in control. You see, that's to be self-deceived. We're fooling ourselves when we think, I'm in control of my life. It's up to me to determine what will happen. That is foolish thinking. The only person in control is God himself, the sovereign God. And of course, don't live as though you think you know what's best for you. We like to know what's best for us, that these are my plans and they're best for me. No, it is God who knows what's best for you. And so Paul is saying here, don't walk as the fool. But instead, understand what the Lord's will is. So what is that? What is the Lord's will? How do we know it? How can we find out? 
while the book of Ephesians is filled with verses and passages about the Lord's will for us. Chapter 1, verse 3. It is the Lord's will, it is God's will to bless you in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so whatever blessing there is, it is to be found in Christ. You get it all, you see, as a Christian, you get it all. That is God's will for you. Chapter 1, verse 4. It is God's will that you be holy and blameless in his sight. Holy and blameless, that is God's will for you. Every day, every moment, I'm thinking, how can I live and lead a godly life? That is God's will for you. Sin is never okay. Holiness is always okay. That is God's will for you. Chapter 1, verse 5. It is God's will for you to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. You see, it's God's will that you belong to him, not just as a slave, not as a servant, but as an heir, as an heir of the eternal kingdom, adopted into God's very own family. That is God's will for you. Chapter 3, verse 6. It is God's will that all humans become members together of the one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So there's no more division amongst us. There's, there's no more have and have nots. No more cultural distinction. We are one in Christ. The war of hostility is broken down. That is God's will for us. Chapter 4, verse 1. It is God's will that you walk worthy of the calling you have received. Your calling. What is God's calling for you? That you walk worthy of the calling you have received. That is God's purpose for you. You see, God calls us not to vocation, not to career, not to jobs, not to suburbs. God calls us to godliness. God calls us to live lives worthy of the calling we have received. You see, your life must honour God. Your life must honour the name you bear, Christian. You cannot go on living a life where you dishonour the good name of our Lord. That is your calling. You want to know what your calling is? Live and lead a godly life. That is God's will for you. You see, God's will is, is not one where we're, ha- where we're meant to sit around and wait for inner voices or inner promptings or feelings to work out what God's will is. I mean, God's will is plain and clear here in the book of Ephesians. It's made very clear. God has spoken supremely, sufficiently and ultimately in his word concerning his son Jesus Christ. And so this morning, how are you walking? As a fool, well, none of us want to be a fool. Well, hopefully instead you are one who walks as one who understands the will of God. And now finally, Paul wants Christians everywhere and in every place to not walk as the drunk, but as one who is filled with the Spirit. Have a look, verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And so rather being filled with alcohol, we are to be filled with the Spirit. And if you think about this, it just makes sense. Drunkenness is never okay. Drunkenness does no good. We're told here it leads to debauchery. 
Now, what does that word mean, debauchery? Well, whatever it means is no good, so don't be debauched, right? But what it probably does mean is it, it, it leads to recklessness, wastefulness, wild living like the prodigal son. And if you think about this in reality, if you want to make a fool out of, out of anyone, if you want to make a fool out of any man, just get him drunk and you'll see him slur his words, trip over himself, get violent, do things he'll regret, lose his temper. And so as Christians, how are you walking? Well, not as one who is drunk. We are not to be filled with alcohol, rather, we are to be filled with the Spirit. Or more literally, it is to go on being filled with the Spirit. It's a, it's a present, ongoing command. It's a present imperative. It's meant to go on. It is literally to go on living by the Spirit continually. You see, this is an ongoing command for the entire Christian life, for every Christian. We are to go on being filled with the Spirit. It's not meant to be an experience for a moment, but it's meant to be an experience that goes throughout our Christian life. And so this never ceases to be a command for Christians. One commentator, he puts it this way. What is it then? Well, let your fullness be what the Spirit produces and not what alcohol produces. But then what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Is it to have an out-of-body experience, some supernatural experience? Is that what it means to be filled with the Spirit? Or is it to be able to do some superhuman things? Well, no. No. And Paul tells us. Paul goes on to explain what being filled with the Spirit looks like. And when we look at this, it might look quite normal. It might look quite ordinary. But if you think about it, it is quite profound. And so what does spirit-filled living look like? Well, what we need to realise here is verses 18 to 21, in the original text, it's one big sentence. It's one big sentence. And what we see here is they all hang on the main verb to be filled with the spirit. There are these five participles. If you do grammar, you know what that means. But what it means is that there are five activities that attach to the main verb, the main activity of being filled with the Spirit. And so being filled with the Spirit involves speaking to one another. It involves singing and making music to the Lord. It involves giving thanks to the Lord. And it also involves submitting to one another. Now, in your Bibles, if you're looking at it, chapter 5, verse 21 Now, NIV starts a new sentence there, in fact, a new paragraph in verse 21, but it's meant to be part of the same sentence. Verses 18 to 21 is one big sentence. And so this is what being spirit-filled looks like. So firstly, spirit-filled living involves speaking to one another. Look at verse 19. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Notice what the spirit-filled person does. Notice who the object of this speaking is. It is speaking to one another. And so you see, when we sing, when we sing in church, that is how we build one another up. As we confess what we believe, as we proclaim what is true, this is how we build one another up in our faith. And so our singing in church 
there's a horizontal component. It is to encourage one another. And if you think about the songs we sing, it should make sense. You see, when we sing hymns like Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, you know that one? Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. We're not trying to get God to stand up for his son Jesus, are we? These are words to one another. We are trying to encourage one another. Stand up, be bold, be courageous for Jesus. And even in the Psalms, many of the Psalms are not direct praise to God, but are words to each other. They're words to encourage each other, words to invite one another to praise God. And so, for example, Psalm 95, the first verse, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. That's not directed to God. It's directed to each other. Come, it's an invitation. Come, let's praise the Lord. Psalm 96, sing to the Lord a new song. You see, these are invitations to one another to praise the Lord. These are words to encourage one another in our faith. And that is spirit-filled living. Second, spirit-filled living involves singing and making music to the Lord. Verse 19, have a look again. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. And so the spirit-filled person sings with joy to the Lord in the heart and hopefully out loud as well. You see, that spirit-filled living. Now, I'm not sure uh, if this is true for many of you, but it's certainly true for me. When I sing, I often, very often, sing out of tune and sometimes out of beat as well. But why do we sing anyway if we can't sing very well? Why would we sing together as a church? Why would we sing with joy in our hearts? Why would we sing even with joy on our faces? See, when we sing, we're meant to have joy in our hearts and on our faces. Why? Because we know what the Lord has done. We know. We are wise. We've been given wisdom. We know what the Lord has done for us. And so we delight in the Lord. We praise him with joy in our hearts. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. So love he the world that he gave us his Son. We delight in the Lord, who yielded his life in atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. You see, Christians sing because we know what the Lord has done and that is part of spirit-filled living. Third, spirit-filled living involves giving thanks to the Lord. Verse 20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the spirit-filled person is always a thankful person. You see, if you know who God is, this is the God of the universe, infinite in power and wisdom. This is the God you know. And if you know yourself, you are but one of billions of people around the world. You know, we are small. And if you know what you deserve, if you know what you really deserve, Nothing but the wrath of God. If you know God, if you know yourself, and if you know what you deserve, then how can you not live and lead the thankful life? Always. You see, not only are all my stuff God's, they are all given by God to me. I myself, I belong to God. He's given me life. He's given me life. He's given me family. 
He's given me friends. He's given me this church community to love and to serve. He's given me skills and gifts. He's given me my daily needs and he's given me his love. His dear son, Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, you want to live a spirit-filled life, we must be thankful all the time. Thankful and content. Now finally, spirit-filled living involves submitting to one another. How we relate to one another is part of what it means to be spirit-filled. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Remember, our, our NIV translation starts a new sentence and a new paragraph, but it's part of the same sentence. You see, there is a good and proper ordering of relationships, which involves responsibility and submission. And that's what Paul will spend the rest of chapter 5 elaborating on. You see, this verse is not telling us that there must be always mutual submission. But Paul goes on to make that clear. Wives to husband, to church, to Christ, children to parents, slaves to master. And so what does spirit-filled living look like? Proper submission to one another. Giving thanks to God, praising God and speaking words to one another. Now when you have a look at this list again, it looks quite ordinary, doesn't it? looks quite normal, spirit-filled. I thought it's going to be some supernatural experience. This is it. looks quite normal. looks quite ordinary, but it is so profound. Because if you think about this deeply, who can live this way? Only the Christian. Who can go around speaking words of encouragement to one another, to brothers and sisters in Christ, when it's easier not to, when it's simpler to be lazy? when we can just be inward looking? Who can go around singing joy, with joy to the Lord in our hearts, when life does not appear to go well, when life does not appear to go according to plan? Who can still praise the Lord when we've had a tough week? The Christian can. The spirit-filled person can. Who can go on giving thanks to the Lord when we're sick, when we hear that our loved ones get cancer, when we lose our job, when we face death. Who can give thanks to the Lord in a moment like that? The spirit-filled person. And who can go around submitting to one another when we don't feel like it? The spirit-filled person. You see, no one can walk in such way unless he is a Christian or she is a Christian, unless he or she is filled with the spirit. And so how are you walking? As a drunk well, hopefully instead as one who is filled with the Spirit. And so this morning, let us not simply ask each other how you're going, but how are you walking? How are you walking in the Lord? How is your life journey? And this morning we witnessed two baptisms, two new Christians, Galton and Albert. You'll have to continue to ask yourself, how am I walking? For those of us who have been Christians for decades, we need to always ask ourselves, how are you walking? And even if you are here this morning and you're not yet a believer, well, it's a question for you too. You have to consider your life. How are you walking in your life? Is there fruit there? Is there value there? Where are you heading? And so a question for us to ask each other this morning, over morning tea, 
How are you walking? As a fool who wastes your life or as the wise who understands the will of the Lord? As a drunk which leads to debauchery or as a spirit-filled person who sings, who gives thanks to the Lord, who praises the Lord and who submits, who lives and leads a godly Christ-like life, who is worthy of the calling he has received, who is worthy of the name you have, Christian. And so how are you walking this morning? Well, my prayer is that your walk is one that is worthy of your calling. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your grand plan, in your, in your cosmic sovereign purposes, from eternity past to eternity future, you would choose me people like us to be inheritors of your kingdom. And so help us all to, to consider carefully how we walk, that our walk might be worthy of the calling we have received. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.